0: Scripture reading today will be from Galatians 2:20 20 through 21. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for, it is righteous, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly." Father God, we come before you and we acknowledge you and you alone as our teacher. Father God, we yield to you now, this time, that our hearts and minds would be open to the word that you would have for us. That any obstruction, Father, anything that might block our full view of you, Father, might be removed. That we would behold you and you alone. And that we would see you as our life and that we would rejoice together in the new life that we have in you. Thank you, Lord, for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm real excited. Um, This is probably the first time I've preached or given a devotion on anything outside of 10 to 15 minutes. Um, And, you know, on the outset, I'd like to say it is a wonderful privilege to be with you all this morning to be able to share uh, what the Lord has placed upon my heart, but also to share and mutually benefit from the words that he has for both of us. And it is my prayer that this time be mutually beneficial for us, that as we dive into the word and the truths that he has for us, that we would be affirmed and edified in the truth, that we would be established in the truth, and that we would be able to rest in the sufficiency of his life moment by moment. So what I wanted to talk about today in regards to Galatians 2.20-21 is the importance of seeing our identity in Christ. And it is a subject that I believe that is often overlooked. We we normally start with the behavior um, of the individual, either... Uh, the fruits of flesh or the fruits of righteousness, but very rarely do we start with who we are first, and then we address the behavior after and it's an interesting to note it's interesting to note that um, in all of paul's writings, the majority of them, they start with uh, addressing the body of believers there, and he addresses them as saints first, so before he even gets to behavior. He starts with, greetings righteous ones in such and so city. Greetings saints of this, of this uh, town or area. And he starts with those things, and he starts with who we are first. And that's kind of why I want to come back to that, to emphasize Galatians 2.20, because I believe that identity affects so much of how we live, um, And it affects so much of what he's done for us as well, that he, as he has made us new creations in Christ, we are called to live to that new life and to live and have freedom in that new life. And to live out of that new life means that everything external is only appreciated and um, observed and uh, taken into account properly and weighed properly when we stand and are oriented and are positioned in our, in our new creation in the root of what Christ has done on the cross for us. Um, so these are just some areas. Uh, there's so much depth to this topic, but I wanted to discuss a few areas where the Lord has made me aware of certain vignettes of its importance, how identity feeds into everything that we do. Um, it determines where we look for life. And the thing of it is, if you believe yourself any different than what you were made for, for Christ, if you believe that you are not a new creation in Christ, then you are living to the flesh and you have defined life incorrectly. And so all around you, you look for ways to be affirmed in the flesh rather than in the spirit. And we end up rooted in and, in, in ruts wherein we believe life is somewhere else. It's out in the fringe. And we have to go find it for ourselves. Of course, we never find it. Even when we get the desired results, they are never as fulfilling as what God was meant to be to us. And I'll go more in depth into that later. It determines how we interpret Scripture. Um, I can tell you personally that when I'm reading uh, the Word of the Lord... Um, If I am not seeing myself as a new creation in Christ, if I am not seeing myself as what he has made me to be, then the word is dry and dead. Um, And more often than not, it comes off as condemnation. Um, Galatians 3.22 says, But the scripture has shut up everyone under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So the promise that is the inheritance, the blessing that comes by faith in Jesus Christ is only received by faith in Jesus Christ. And when we regard ourselves as flesh, we often see ourselves and are portrayed as the sinful man. And we say, you know, it's almost like a a paradox or almost a contradiction because we read verses about the sinful man and what the sinful man does and the fruits of flesh therein, and we say, this is me, right? I mean, I've done these things, of course, you know? And then it says, there is now no condemnation for Christ, and you're, for those who are in Christ, and, and you're, you're kind of left, you know, which one do you choose at that point? Um, it's, it interprets how we uh, see ourselves. How we see ourselves determines how we see others. How we see our identity Um, determines how we see others. If we see ourselves uh, before the Lord as performance-based acceptance as to what we can do and what we can accomplish for him, then in all of our relations, because we do not know and experientially live out the love of God and know internally the grace of God, we fail then to distribute the grace of God to those around us. And we become legalists in our own way. And we look to others to meet the needs that only God can meet. Um, It's how we stand against temptation, how we affect desired behavior. We all want to perform at 100%. We all want to see ourselves living as a branch ought, that is, exhibiting fruits of righteousness. We all want to see His life in and through us. And... The only way we can live that life, we can't live that life, it has to be Christ who lives it in and through us. And seeing our identity in him, seeing ourselves rooted in him, gives us the liberty, but he also empowers us to live as we ought to live, in as much as we behold him as our sufficiency in all aspects of life. It's what we're made for. And I have verses here that confirm our new identity, and you've read them yourself. Verses that talk about how we are a new creation in Christ, how the old things have passed away, the fresh and the new has come, and how we have been made for Christ and Christ alone. Um, Ephesians 2.5, if you want to turn there. even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And then if you turn to Colossians 3, uh, 11 through 14. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free man, but Christ is all and in all. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other whoever has a complaint against anyone. Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And so we see here as confirmed that the Lord has forgiven us. And these things are elementary. You know, as we read them, we're like, yeah, of course the Lord has forgiven us. Yeah, of course. You know, it, it almost seems um, elementary in a sense to cover these things that we're so well acquainted with. But it's important that we understand these things fundamentally as our foundation and that they provide for us in interpreting the Scripture and seeing in our identity uh, a way in which that we can see clearly how to stand and how to move and how to operate. So where do we look for life? Um, This is something that, again, it comes back to who we are in Christ, It comes back to his work on the cross that he is our sufficiency in our life. But if we don't see ourselves according to what he has done and who he's made us to be as a new creation in Christ, then we automatically see ourselves according to the flesh. And I've been there many times wherein I have regarded myself not according to how God sees me, but according to my own behaviors. And these these considerations as to who I am, they determine where I look for life. Because if my life is in the flesh, then it is my job to maintain the flesh. It is my job to be my own God. I am on the throne. It is my job to be provision. It is my job to be my own wisdom. It is my job to do and perform as I ought to. And it's also... Interesting in the grace of God that he allows for the frustrations of these things, that he will not empower me to serve the idols that I cling to in my heart, but rather he he will not empower me to serve those things so that I might look within to see him as life and him and him alone. So when we interpret Scripture... And I covered this before, but when we interpret Scripture, when we interpret it apart from His lens and seeing ourselves as new creations in Christ, Scripture becomes uh, warped for us. And we see that a lot in the modern church today, where we almost see these two extremes of either law and grace, you know, and it's law, it's legalism, and then you've got the other extreme, which is greasy grace, that is license, and because God you know, forgives. Why not just do, you know, whatever we want? Um, you know, so we see these two extremes wherein we uh, we fail to start from the foundation of what Christ has done in our hearts, that He has made us new altogether. Um, the believer must understand his position in Christ first and foremost. And I will say that the law has an importance in illustrating our need for Him, and people who tout grace as a means for license do not understand what grace is to begin with. If grace is not received or grace is not regarded as grace is not received where grace is not regarded as the encompassing work of Christ, that is the death, uh, burial and resurrection. Inasmuch as much as we associate with that, that is the all-encompassing grace of God. It is the freedom not to sin. It is not the freedom to do whatever you want. Because people who tout grace as a means of license believe that freedom is in satisfying their carnal appetites and whatever they want to do. And that is how they define freedom. But freedom for us is being a branch. Freedom for us is resting in who we are. Freedom for us is just letting Christ live and flow through us naturally. As we walk, as we rest in him, it is not inactivity, but resting is the very activity of God in my life. In so much as I rest the problems that enter into my life, the the concerns that I have, and it's it's day to day. You know, I wake up and I'm like, I don't know how the bills are going to be paid. I don't know, you know how who's going to be life to these these people at work where I work, you know I'm encountering all day long uh, men and women who are completely devoid of an understanding of Him, and if I go in there with the idea that I can somehow provide uh, what they need to see as life, then I am I am deceiving myself, and so. Seeing ourselves in Christ, resting in Him, and resting everything in Him is what's most important. But we do not rest things with Him if we do not see ourselves as completely redeemed, as completely re- made new, as com- completed works. We do not rest things with Him because I can't trust God to be my provision if I believe that I am a sinful, carnal, wicked, uh, you know, unloved being that does nothing right. How could a loving God love that? You know? And I've fallen back into then performance-based acceptance where I believe that it is what I do that establishes me, not who I am. And that it is not who I have been made to be, but rather how I perform. And so we see this bleed into denominations throughout, uh, churches throughout, that it is a a work in progress doctrine that rather when that rather than seeing and thanking god for what we have in him we must strive and earn that which christ has already given to us freely for it is the free grace of god and we strive to earn those things because We see ourselves as something other than who we're made to be. And I know I kind of sound like a broken record here, but I want to really emphasize the importance of identity and that it is the foundation, that Christ is the foundation on which we stand and how we associate with Him. It is how we stand against temptation. So, I can, I can testify to this, that if I see myself according to the flesh and I see my desires as being satisfied in the flesh, then I am automatically, when I'm tempted, the enemy says, do you not desire this? And I am inclined to agree with him. And this is a result of me not forgetting what lies behind, me not regarding myself as a new creation, but me regarding myself as a creature of flesh, dead, and worthless. And that's how the, the tempter comes in. He first starts with, when we fail, we see ourselves as dirty and worthless, and we do not come to him for life. And so the enemy comes in and says, this is what you want to do. And in our flesh, we're like, yes, it is. And remarkably we own that rather than taking that thought captive to Christ and saying no my life is in him we are bound to say no uh you know i really need to look good in front of my uh employer so you know it is really more about what i do and and how good i look you know so i i would much i would much rather you know than suffer the pain of loss of my glory i would much rather um, persist in this. Um, so, as we see ourselves though as creatures of flesh, so then we seek to satisfy the flesh. And as we have a distorted image of ourselves, we also carry over a distorted image of those around us and closest to us. Inasmuch as we believe that we are not who Christ has made us to be in all areas that we are a completed work, then we look to others to satisfy the flesh because there's only two lives that you're living out of. You're either walking with him in faith or you're allowing the rule of your flesh. And there's a lot of, you know, identities out there, like are you a skater, are you rocker, rocker, whatever, all this ridiculous stuff, but there's only two distinctions. It's either in the spirit or in the flesh. Um, and so we look to others to meet the needs that only God can meet when we, we are in the flesh. This feeds into how we judge others. This feeds into how we see other people and judge and condemn others. Because I'll tell you, inasmuch as we judge um, another, so we ourselves are judged. If I judge myself according to the to the behaviors that I have, I will judge another according to the behaviors that they have. Because I'm not looking to Christ for life, I'm looking to you for life, you know. I'm looking to your behavior and how well you can satisfy me and good luck. And that is why there are so many marriages today and so many relationships today that just fall apart. Because people come to the right conclusion and they say, hey, you're not God. Hey, you actually can't satisfy me. Hey, you know, thanks, but you don't deserve love, you know, but they're coming from uh, a faulty image of who they are. So I kind of wanted to talk about, kind of give my own testimony of my walk with him, uh, briefly cover that. Um, I grew up in a Christian home, uh, godly parents and uh, parents that were rooted in and established in the truth of Christ, and um, I remember the day of my salvation, wherein I um, I was my mom was making spaghetti meat, and I was really hungry, and um, she said, "Don't eat that; it's raw." And I said, "Okay," and I kind of waited for her to leave, and I grabbed it and I like like hot potatoed it out into the yard, and then I ate it, because it smelled so good, and I was really hungry. And um, I thought about it later, and I was like, why did she tell me not to eat it? And um, I went up to her, and she could kind of tell what I had done, of course. She's very perceptive. Um, but I walked up to her, I, I asked her, I was like, so why did you tell me not to eat that? And she was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and she's like, well, if it's not cooked, you could get sick. And I was like, could I die? <laughs> and it was at that moment that uh, my mom took, you know, took that opportunity to share and uh, make me aware of, of my eternal destination. And I prayed there to receive Christ and um, over spaghetti sauce. And um, the Lord uses it all. And... Um, I, I, don't, I, I don't remember what much from that day because I believe I was like five or six. I just remembered that Jesus had me, and I was held by Him, and I was very, very happy that there was a change, and I had a smile on my face, and I couldn't stop smiling. I didn't understand. I didn't understand what I had. I still don't understand what I have. I'm I'm learning about it and growing in it, and I think that's what eternity is for. But um, you know. That moment and seeing who Christ was and that he would be everything to me, that's, that's animating. That his Holy Spirit, as we look to him, is animating. And the Christian life is not some deep, dark secret. It's really just coming back to the basics and hanging around there. That it is for the simplest. And if it's not for the simplest, it's not for any of us. In that when we see christ as our sufficiency in all things he is our satisfaction he is our strength in all of these things and it is keeping our eyes fixed upon him and he gives us the peace that passes all understanding when life isn't and that's why it's it's beyond understanding is because you know oh my my finances aren't going well and you know and i'm i'm just listing examples of, you know, anything. Uh, but, you know, I have a problem with the kids. I don't have any kids. Um, <laughs> if y'all were worried. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, uh, trouble with the spouse, you know, all those things. We see a deficit in, in our circumstances, circumstantially, and we're at a loss to wonder where our piece is. And if we continue to find to define life and not come back to where we are oriented in Christ, if we continue to find to define life as those things and instead of rebuking them and saying, no, Christ is my life, He is my acceptance, He is my provision, He is my unity with my spouse, He is my wisdom for my kids, He is all these things. If we do not declare these things over a soul which is determined to be unbelieving, determined to be backwards. And it is so often saturated with the world around us. I mean you look at every billboard and it's it wants to tell you where life is. It's it's drinking the right beer and having the right girl and you know, it's it subtly, it overtly and covertly defines for you what life is. And so when we have a misconception of what life is, then we end up frustrated and then we look at God and say, I don't understand. I thought this was abundant living. And Christ says it is abundant living in as much as you see me as life and as sufficient. And that's what comes into taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ in that we are presented with good and evil. It's not the subject matter of what we're presented with. It's not the little facts here and there. It's what's behind them. You know, it's good to have a job. It's bad to lose it. It's good to have a spouse. It's bad not to have one. It's bad to have a spouse. It's good not to have one. You know, it's how those things are defined, what is good and evil, and we buy into those things and we end up slave then to what is good and what is evil. And it's, it's interesting, too, when you're working with people, if, if my life, if my peace is bound up in the behavior of this guy who does not know Christ from a hole in the ground, he is godless and... My, my, my life and my sufficiency, my peace for the day is wrapped up in this guy, this frail creature of flesh. I've just made him my God. And I, I, am, I am now bound to and subject to his behavior. His behavior determines how my day goes. I can't live that way. Uh, I don't know about you, but I, I cannot live that way, subject to the, the whims and, and the... And the foolishness of everybody that i encounter and seeing ourselves in christ seeing our identity in christ is not just an idea it is not just topical it's all encompassing it is freedom and it is for freedom that he has set us free and we and again not greasy grace not the license to sin, but freedom not to. And it's, you know, it's really difficult to talk about not sinning because it sounds like you're getting into law. But wherein my eyes are on Christ and my focus is on Him, He comes in and supplies And it yields fruits of righteousness. And the fruits of righteousness, the fruits of the spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. All these things are a result. As I take the problems and what is good and what is evil and how it is defined, and as I take them and I say, take them, Lord, they're yours. And I take the positive and and the negative and I say, thy will be done in it. And in that is resignation. It is saying that regardless of the outcome, my stability remains the same. That is a statement of faith. And for us and believers, that we, our faith is shaped in the womb of the world. And in a womb, you don't see anything. It's black. It's pitch dark. You can't tell where you're at. And you're, you're, not, you're not even conscious of it, really. You have no conception of what, where you're at or what you're doing there. But that is where the birthplace of faith takes place in that I see a deficit and I rely on the Lord and the Lord rushes to meet it, not circumstantially necessarily, but in his life and his life alone. Paul says that in his flesh dwells no good thing. And I've discovered that in my flesh that there is nothing good that dwells within my flesh either. And probably maybe for yourselves, I hope that you've discovered the same thing, that your flesh is is worthless, that it is garbage and surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and that it cannot provide, and that it is base and immoral, and, and it is constantly warring with and contrary to what the spirit of god would have for us the flesh of man is hostile to god and the flesh my flesh is hostile to the things of god and it is standing in the spirit of god and saying no and it starts again it starts with who we are because we can't start with who we are if we are not we can't we can't live the way we ought to if we are not constantly taking our failure and the and the frailty of our flesh before the seed of God and saying, "Your grace is sufficient for me," um, I want to get back to my testimony. I, I go off on little rabbit trails of discovery. <laughs> um, so I became, you know, after after I was saved, I grew up, and you know my. My mom would read to us Proverbs and, uh, you know, in my mind, <laughs> I would kind of, like, check off the things I was doing and then, like, check the things I wasn't. And I was like, here's where I'm good, here's where I'm not so good. And it, it's, it's this early assertion of the flesh. There's nothing wrong with Proverbs. It's the unbelieving mind of man that wants so much to be glorified in its behavior that he establishes legalism for himself. Because in that, we feel like we are in control, that we are God, and it, it feels so much easier than faith. But nothing could be further from the truth. So, you know, reading Proverbs, and, and I grew up in a wonderful family. I, I still have a wonderful family. <laughs> uh, and just the truth ends... You know, a dad who was firmly established in the truth, who walked according to the Spirit of God, and a mother who was basically like Proverbs 31, if you've ever read it. She, was, she is essentially Proverbs 31 woman. Yeah. It's her birthday, too, so I'm trying to... <laughs> but it's true. Uh, she's just awesome. I love her so much. Anyway. Um, you know, growing up in that kind of a home... Wherein just everything was right. Now, not everything was right, of course, you know There was friction of flesh and things like that, and you know, I wouldn't have grown or learned anything if everything was sterile. Um, but it was um, for me, I had all the right teaching and all the right equipment, but slowly but surely, as I was growing in the Lord, I started to set aside. Idols in my heart. Ideas of what it meant to live a successful life. Ideas like, you know, when I'm this age, I will have this job with this income. I will have this degree. I will have a spouse at the age of 20. Um, You know, and I will be the most disciplined man there ever was, and I will do everything perfectly. And I wish that there was something that I could plug into my flesh that would cause me to perform, cause my flesh to perform perfectly. Um, and so I started looking for those things because I noticed that I was unable to do that which I wanted to do. And the very things I did not wish to do, I did. And the very thing, you know. You do know what I'm talking about. Um, those things became law to me, and they became idols in my heart that I wished I could serve perfectly. And my complaint always against the Lord was, Lord, why do you not empower me to serve perfectly the idols that are within my heart? I didn't phrase it that way, but that is what the Lord revealed to me after I turned to him in faith and said, okay, there's nothing Outside of you, that is valuable. And it wasn't till after that my eyes that He opened my eyes to what I was really asking for. And that's an important thing to realize too: is that you are never going to realize or receive the revelation before faith. That is a very rare thing, and it is often the the uh, the Lord who you know in Scripture who would come down or reveal Himself. And miracles in certain ways, it was often the means to bring people to salvation, um, to show people who he was and bring them to faith. But he's not going to do that with the believer. Uh, With me, it was always faith first and then truth after. Faith first, seeing Christ as sufficient and truth after. But you see, I, I had those idols in my heart. I wished that I could serve them perfectly, but the Lord didn't empower me to serve the idols that I had perfectly. And I, find my, I found myself just... Excuse me. My throat's getting dry. Hold on. Sorry. I'm trying not to baptize myself. I've already been baptized. Thank you. Um... Those water bottles, they, they drove us sometimes. I was kind of worried about that. Um, I wanted the Lord to empower my, my flesh to live and serve my idols perfectly, but he wasn't going to. And so I grew up, you know, admiring those things and wishing that I could do better. And I became what I define as a formula Christian. Somebody who is looking for a way to some kind of plug-in that would get them to perform perfectly. And I would read verses, and again, we come back to identity and how we interpret Scripture, okay? I didn't see myself according to the Spirit. I saw myself according to the flesh. And so coming to verses like, my grace is sufficient for you. You know that you keep idols in your heart when you read that verse and you say... Yeah, that's great, except I really wish that, you know, this is the problem, Lord. You know, your grace, yeah, that, that's great, but this is actually where I'm struggling. If you could fix this, if you could fix me to do and to act as I should, that would be great. And so seeing and keeping idols in our heart, it, it devalues, we end up devaluing the grace and the satisfaction that we would have in Christ, wherein we keep and misdefine life. We cannot receive grace. And so in seeing our identity and the importance of identity, we must understand that our life is Christ, that that's what we're made for. We're made for him. Life is in him, and in anything else, there is no life. And we miss life. We misinterpret life. And then the Lord comes to us and, say, and says, am I not sufficient? And we kind of look at him and we're like, you're great. Could you please actually move me to do? Could you please actually empower me to serve my idols the way I should? And so even reading scripture, it becomes dry and dead kindling to lay at the altars of the idols I wish to serve. And I've seen that so often in teaching around me and even in myself. Wherein verses like I can do all things through Christ that empowers me becomes an athletic slogan. <laughs> Which, you know, Paul says there's some advantage to physical training, but he goes on to more important things. Um, you know, it, it becomes dry and dead, it becomes external and worthless. And so I went on and on in that. And here I am at. I'm not, I'm actually 26, but I'm talking in terms of then, okay? So, there I am at the age of 23, working in an HEB parking lot with associate's degree in liberal arts. I haven't met anybody. I don't have a spouse and I still don't do what I'm supposed to do. I'm not disciplined at all in my flesh. And I'm mad because I have sought and looked for a way that I can for some kind of doctrine you know even verses like um, you know abide in me even the abiding life becomes the message of the abiding life becomes distorted wherein I wish to appropriate it only to milk life from the external things around me and so I I And I did just that. And, you know, there I am, the age of 22, 23, pushing carts in an H-E-B parking lot in 100-degree heat, and I'm angry because I have not arrived. I am nowhere close to where I ever wanted to be, and and the Lord has not uh, changed me the way I wanted to be. And... It wasn't until I came to the end of myself, it wasn't until I came to the end of those things. Some people spend their whole lives and achieve those things only to find that they were empty to begin with. Whereas as me, I, I never claimed those things, so I never got to find out. I had to find my satisfaction in Christ then and there. And that wasn't to say the Lord wasn't working in my life. He certainly was. But in that, in my sanctification, in his working out his life through me, in his maturation process for me, um, he slowly revealed the idols that I kept, why I was frustrated, why things don't work the way I want them to. And I found that those things were empty, that I needed to see Christ as life, And it's interesting, we we don't often talk about the discipline of the Lord, but I really believe that the discipline of the Lord, though the means of which he does not necessarily appropriate himself, that is, he does not cause or create, he does not cause evil, but it is the natural result of a life that is hell-bent on being independent, on its own glorification, on being on the throne, it is the natural result for the believer to encounter the hedge and the, and the briar and the thorns when he strays off the path. And we have this promise from the Lord that he works all things out together for the good of those who are called according to his purposes. That is us. We are called according to his purposes. And the good that he wishes to work out in us is nothing less than Christ as life and the knowledge of him and knowing who He is. Um, and so I wished that I could fix myself, and I came to the end of myself. And I realized that I had to see His grace as sufficient. Because I wasn't interpreting the Scripture correctly. I was afraid of the Word. I can't interpret Scripture. Let me rephrase that. Nobody can interpret Scripture It takes the wisdom and the spirit of God and it takes a mind that is yielded and resting in him and determined to see him as life in order that scripture is affected and appropriated correctly. And even if you understand scripture correctly, even if you have an intellectual knowing of how the scripture is and what you think it is to be, it is dry and dead. And it is much like the surgeon's knife in the hand of an amateur because you have no idea how to apply it and you're a threat to yourself and other people around you. And it is only the wisdom of God that comes through a trust and reliance upon the sufficiency of Christ that the Scripture is determined, that it is is interpreted to us by the Spirit of God, and that it is affected correctly and appropriated correctly. Because we're not our own shepherd. We're sheep, we do not understand. And even in the preparation of the sermon, my first sermon to go beyond ten to fifteen minutes, I have to say there was a lot of pressure there because I I I don't know what I I don't know what I'm doing. I mean I've I've heard sermons before, but I had to come back to where I see my life. Is it in performance? Is it in how I am viewed amongst you—is it in an image that I have, or is it based in the life of Christ? And even if I get up here in Babel, like, who'd have thought? It doesn't matter, because my identity is first and foremost in Him, and my stability is in Him. And we say, "Oh, well, you know," saying that we don't want to—we don't want to cause people to believe that that is license and. Yeah, you don't need to prepare, right? You could just do whatever you want. The thing is, accepting <laughs> accepting Christ as sufficient actually is conducive towards the steps that He would wish to take in order to prepare the sermon. You are not disciplined in and of yourself, you do not have what it takes to prepare what it takes to be disciplined, and what it takes to do adequately. And even the things that you think you might be doing, if it is in the flesh, it is worthless before God, it is hay, wood, and stubble fit to be burned up. But seeing him as life, even in this, is the most conducive thing to righteousness. Ministry of rest. And a lot of people refuse to capitalize on rest because it sounds like inactivity. But true rest, wherein we rely and rest all things in his hands, is the most active life there is. And it, is, it has its rewards and, and fruits of righteousness and things that only he can display. And there are many times when I'm coming into work and I don't feel these things towards these miserable people. <laughs> I don't feel these things. I don't feel love towards this guy. I don't feel love and joy and peace. I don't feel any of those things. But then what am I to expect from men who do not know the truth? It's I could yell at them and I could I could, you know, admonish them. But it's kind of like beating a dead corpse, a corpse for stinking. It it can't help what it is. It is by nature what it is. And ministry is displaying rest and peace and joy because those things, those things people see and they're like, that's different. He had every reason in his right mind to be upset over this, but he wasn't. He had every reason in his right mind to, be, uh, to lose his peace over this, but he didn't. And it's it such a contrast That people see it, and they're like, that's really different. That's an aroma. Like, I I don't understand what's going on here. And, you know, I was talking with somebody from HEB, because he was like, so what do you believe? And I was like, well, I believe in Christ Jesus. He is my life, and it's more than just a religion. And he was like, well, that's great. And he was like, what do you want to do? And I was like, well, um, I want to honor him. And I know he'll guide me to those things and, and what he wants to show me and what activities he wants me to be in and he's like, "You don't want to like pursue like you know because I told him what i I had done, uh you know the different jobs that I had, and he's like, "Why are you a bagger at h e b at the time?" and you know I was like, honestly, this is just where the Lord brought me, and he's like, "You don't want to try to it. excel and I was like no, I can excel wherever I'm at. It's seeing, you know, he, he was befuddled by that because I was basically saying, Christ is my provision. He will provide. And he was saying, well, doesn't that, I mean, you can't sit on your, your, your rear end and do nothing all day and say kumbaya and hope that he provides. But, um, you know, that is not the case with the believer. The believer who is resting In Christ. And here's the thing, if I were to be lazy, if I were to take that tact, he would provide, except it wouldn't be provision, it would be discipline. (laughs) And he he would show me the things that make for righteousness, and he would instruct me, and his rod and his staff do comfort me, and he chastises and rebukes those he loves. And that's an important thing to remember, that in my flesh, which dwells no good thing if I am living to that, um, you you can expect the discipline of the Lord because he is in charge of our maturation, not us. We, We get the car before the horse. It's so much about what we can do and what we can bring to the table. And, you know, have you done your scripture memory and where's your devotions and your quiet times and all those things. And all those things are important, but they are lesser truths. And the greatest truth is Christ and seeing him as everything that is conducive towards the behavior that our heart longs for. And so I perpetuate the behavior my heart despises when I refuse to see God's grace as sufficient for me. And that is in the moments where I fail, where I do not immediately see Christ and turn and get up off my feet and say, no, I am a new creation in Christ. Where I refuse to do that, I perpetuate the very thing I hate. And it is only times when I do that, it is sourced in nothing more than vain and pride, essentially. It is sourced in the idols that I have hidden in my heart, where I have refused to see him as sufficient. So then, in our dealings with one another, in our dealings with ourselves, like I said before, when Paul starts out, he starts with who we are in Christ First and then he goes into instruction. And so with dealing with ourselves and the flesh and other people in the flesh, we start first with their identity. We acknowledge them for who they are, what they're made for. Because if we start with behavior, if we start in what we we believe about behavior and law and legalism, it does nothing more than confound, it does nothing more than perpetuate the things that they hate. Because if we do not redefine or define for them the life that they have and where life is, then then they will continue to seek the idol that is causing their pain and misery. I wish I could do better. I wish I had the perfect job. I wish I had all these things. Lord, empower me. My grace is sufficient for you. Yeah, that's great. I really actually just want You to, you know, I just want to stop sinning. Well, who are you that you want to stop sinning? Who are you associating at that point? You are not your own anymore. For how can you, who have died died to sin, live to it any longer? Who are you? You are in Christ. You have been made new, a new creation. These are the things you are suited for. And it is... Taking everything captive then to the obedience of the full and complete work of Christ Jesus, our Savior, our salvation, our satisfaction, our peace, patience, kindness, goodness. That is life. Seeing the um, deficit and believing God that he is all that we need. And I say it is so important to emphasize behavior uh, identity before behavior, we don't know how to counsel. We don't even know how to pray. So, <laughs> I'm saying this in, in in light of the fact that identity and what Christ has done is the most important thing. But in dealings with one another, in counseling, in, in admonishing, we are to be first yielded to the Spirit of God. Um, You know, with people around me and things like that, the Lord tells me sometimes just to be quiet. Um, Don't say anything. Because, you know, preaching isn't easy for me, but counseling one-on-one, yeah, I'll talk to you all day about Jesus because I'm affirmed by it and I like it and it makes me feel good, you know. But there are some times where the Lord is like, don't say anything here. And there was one scenario with somebody um, where was a dude. We were hanging out. And, um, you know, he was complaining to me about this and that and the injustice of it all. And um, he knows the truth. And the Lord just told me to be silent, to rest. I said, okay. If you have something... And that's the thing. I can trust him if he has something that he wants to say to that person. I can trust that he will put on my heart to say it. But the truth so often stands regardless of whether you say anything or not, that person, whoever they are, the things that they're clinging to, they break themselves against the realities. And there are some times when the Lord wants us to speak, and there are times when the Lord doesn't want us to speak. And it is being sensitive to and resting in Him that creates the wisdom of God that allows us to address and effectively apply the fruits of the Spirit and and display ministry in the life of another person. Um, I want to read something from Martin Luther to wrap this up. It is impossible for a man to be a Christian without having Christ, and if he has Christ, he has at the same time all that is in Christ. What gives peace to the conscience is that by faith our sins are no more ours, but Christ's, upon whom God hath laid them all. And that, on the other hand, all Christ's righteousness is ours, to whom God hath given it. Christ lays, his, uh, Christ lays his hand upon us, and we are healed. He casts his mantle upon us, and we are clothed. For he is the glorious Savior, blessed forever. Faith unites the soul with Christ as a spouse with her husband. Everything which Christ has become... Everything which Christ has becomes the property of the believing soul. Everything which the soul has becomes the property of Christ. Christ possesses all blessings and eternal life. They are thenceforward the property of the soul. The soul has all its iniquities and sins. They become thenceforward the property of Christ. It is then that a blessed exchange commences. Christ who is both God and man, Christ who has never sinned, and whose holiness is perfect, Christ the Almighty and Eternal, taking to himself by his nuptial ring of faith. Okay, I had to look up the word nuptial, because I thought it was spelled nuptial, but it's actually just another word for wedding or wedding ring. By his wedding ring of faith, all the sins of the believer, those sins are lost and abolished in him, for no sins dwell before his infinite righteousness. Thus, by faith, the believer's soul is delivered from sins and clothed with the eternal righteousness of her bridegroom, Christ. You can't experience what Christ has for you, the riches of Christ for you, when you're seeking it in other places, when you're looking for it in other places. When you're doing that, you miss the identity and the truth of who you are to be in Christ. I really enjoy um, Romans 8, um, and it's such an encouraging passage. Um, particularly, you know, it is, it is so good in, in establishing those, those fundamental truths in our minds. It starts, you know, Romans 8 starts with no condemnation and ends with no separation. It starts off saying, There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Now is present sense. It is something that is to be received and recognized in the moment. Now. And now we are called to recognize each and every moment the sufficiency of Christ and His grace and His life. So, um, I wanted to say thank y'all for letting me speak and Again, this is a mutually affirming time for me.